You're listening to Main Menu from Bill's Tomato Game, an unreleased game on the Sega Genesis, composed by Matt Furness. What's up, BG Maniacs? Welcome to another episode of BG Mania, a video game music podcast. I, of course, am your host, Brian, and joining me on the show this week, he is the host of The Movie Bar. I think every month still with the dyad, it's Bedroth. Yeah, just dropped one. I, you Gonna, did. Planning on still being every month, <laughs> planning on it, and uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. January was weird, but hopefully, hopefully I can get back to some kind of rhythm. Made a couple of tweaks, and I'm back. You're back. But yeah. And I'm also back here with you. It's yes. good to be back. Scheduled time for us to be back. The scheduled yeah. week and uh, coming off some some really fun episodes that we'll talk about. But before we do, real quick, if you'd be so kind, head on over to Apple Podcast or whichever app you chose to listen to us on and drop a quick rating and review. Really does help us out in terms of visibility so that this show continues to grow. And remember, we are on Patreon now as well. Patreon.com forward slash RPG era. Check out our tiers. See what we're doing. And if you feel inclined, toss us a couple bucks each month. If not, continuing to listen to the episodes as they upload to Tweakworks Wonders as well. And of course, special shout out to current executive producers, Jexx and Zanku. 
Man, we've got some uh, positive reception coming out of that Sweet Sexy Sax episode. Yeah, yeah, I had some some nice feedback. Um, Hammock, the uh, the chill master from KVGM The Last Wave, uh, commented on a couple of different channels where I shared it. I was like, yeah, sax is the language of love. Dude, it is. <laughs> Sweet Sexy Sax, dude. It's so good. That was Prof a lot Jeff of fun. tuned in on our, our Discord he and did. educated us a bit on Skullgirls. So thanks for that, Jeff. And he, he did say he did not make it to the under the bridge stage. I guess that was a, a hidden stage. Or, like a, yeah, or something a like bonus that. Bonus stage or something like that. Secret but, stage. Yeah. Something like that. Sounds like a cool game. Um, uh, girls inspired by like different characters uh, that challenge some cosmic maid for a magical weapon and apparently has sick animation like uh, a lot of the Arxis games do. Indeed. Indeed. And then, of course, uh, last week, because we are caught up, so last week, Radio Hour dropped, so make sure you go check that out if you haven't yet listened to it. A lot of good things on that. Uh, that mini spotlight on there for Hogwarts Legacy. I, I Dude, I'm, I'm tempted. I really thought about doing a deeper dive into the Hogwarts Legacy soundtrack, but I'm, I'm hesitant for several <laughs> reasons. Um, yeah. <laughs> But good stuff, though. Good music. It is. It's it, it's real. It's really good music, and we are going to talk about it on max level probably next week. But you guys any, have been having a good time with that game. Anytime you open the floodgates to talk about Hogwarts Legacy, there are certain ramifications yep. that come with that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that is something I will officially do on BG Mania, though I I kind of want to. Um, <laughs> Part of you, be honest, kind of wants to because of that. <laughs> no, that's true, too. That is true, too. <laughs> it's that rebellious oh, streak, man. Yeah, but go check out Radio Hour. It was really good. We had some excellent stuff on there. But, Bedroth, we are back this week for a regularly scheduled quarterly Composer Appreciation episode. Yeah, and I'm excited about this one. As we talked about at the end of the Sweet Sexy Sax episode, we uh, we subbed out a different composer who we have another idea for that we'll be revisiting later on. But uh, not this for, year, maybe uh, next yeah, year. Not this year, maybe we next year. Since the calendar is full up, maybe calendar maybe next year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, Matt Furness, uh, originally a UK composer. Like Grant Kirkhope, now lives in California uh, and is composing. Well, actually, not composing anymore. We'll get to that though. But yeah, Matt Furness, most known, I think, for his work on the Sega Genesis, uh, called the Sega Mega Drive, where where he did that work, and uh, also though did some work earlier on the the Amiga and on the Atari ST. And a little bit of work, tiny bit on the N64 and a little bit on the PS1. Um, very, very little on the SNES and actually nothing at all on the NES. Yeah. So kind of unique of my in that era for that. from him does stem from the Genesis and the Amiga, I think is where I'm most familiar with him, which is why all of my picks for this episode came from either of those two consoles. I didn't really explore anything else. I would say that's where he did his best work as well. I, I would. Yes, that is definitely a fair assessment but I was talking to you before we actually clicked record in that this was an interesting composer appreciation for me to put together because I don't have a lot of nostalgia for Matt Furness I I respect his craft and I mean his music is excellent and I always enjoy typically things that I hear that he's done but none of it really like makes me think back to specific times 
or just you know with fond memories so this one was interesting to put together for me yeah he he definitely isn't um as far as notoriety he's not on the same level of anybody like you know akochi kondo nobu imatsu yuzo koshiro yoko shimamura anybody like that or even uh, from his own country people like uh you know, Grant Kirkhope and the rear guys, David Wise. Um, And even like, I would say Rob Hubbard, um, Jiro Intel, um, a couple of those earlier, like the Commodore 64 guys, some of them, because they were more pioneers, get a little bit more notoriety, but he... I don't even know that I would say that I have a lot of nostalgia for either of them either, to be fair. Well, but they're also, I mean, the Commodore 64 was, was mostly popular in Europe. Yeah, before before our time and more popular in Europe. So, yeah. And and I think that a lot of, I, I, this is completely speculation, but I think that a lot of uh, Furnace's work on the Genesis was for games that were, if not, you know, only released in the UK, at least more popular in the UK. And, um, yeah, uh, but still, as you're going to hear on the episode today, uh, a good bit of range and some of the best music to come out of the Genesis. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that is. Uh, it's kind of similar to Yuzo Koshiro and his approach to music and why he's able to get such great things out of sound hardware. But we'll get to that as well. Something you said there, you know, some of the best music coming out of the Sega Genesis. But our opening track is something that was supposed to come out of the Sega Genesis, but didn't. It it didn't. Yeah, uh, Bill's Tomato Game was originally released for the Amiga, where the soundtrack was composed by Mike Clark, and it was supposed to be ported to the Genesis, or the Mega Drive, as Matt's Countryman would have called it, a couple of years later, and by all reports, by all accounts, was complete, but for some reason was just shelved. Maybe they they didn't think it would be popular enough that late in, in the cycle for an unknown name like this to be like shipped and and marketed and all that stuff. And so they just decided, nah, never mind. But a complete ROM does exist. Uh, it has been ripped. You can play it. It's apparently a sort of puzzly platform type game, but a complete game of this does exist on the Atari. You mean the Amiga? Yes, one of the two. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I know it came out on the Amiga. Um, so uh, the, the the Atari, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see that. But yeah, the Amiga, it, it, it does exist. It probably is the and Amiga. I just remember seeing when I was doing the research briefly for everything, a version of this did come out in 92 on one of those platforms. Yeah. The, uh, the research that I did for the episode was uh, a little bit different than usual. Um, there is not as much information. I don't think that Matt Furness even has a Wikipedia page. Uh, interestingly enough, he's there, there. Are he's on a wiki, but it's like a, a game music wiki. Correct. And he's listed on uh, Moby Games. Uh, they gave, they gave him a lot of credits. Uh, VGM Preservation Foundation. But even on VGMDB, because a lot of his stuff has never been officially released on soundtrack, VGMDB doesn't have a whole lot of entries for him. I so, did my research on VGMPF or whatever that website is. Yeah. 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 VGM uh, Preservation Foundation. Yeah. That's a good. That's a good one. Um, but my other research was in a couple of episodes, a podcast that I that I used to listen to. One I don't anymore because it's not around, and one I don't just because I've kind of moved on to other stuff. But the Super Mercado Bros and uh, Pixel Tunes Radio guys uh, interviewed Matt 
a little over five years ago. Um, and so I went back and some of this information is a little bit dated, but most of what I, I say about Matt on the episode is going to come from those. So I do want to want to give a shout out to those guys. Um, yeah. And I have. So, yeah. What did you think <laughs> about this Bill's tomato game track? Well, I tell you what, man, this was a great way to open the show. This is a very groovy track, especially when that bass kicks in around like the 30 second mark or so. Mm -hmm. And then you get that synth bell chime type thing going on. Oh, man, this one, it's 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 classic Genesis, but not at the same time. It almost feels a little bit more advanced, even though I know it isn't because this would have released in 94. It sounds cleaner if that, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but well, I really you know, dig 94, this track. He had been doing Sega music It is music late for, in the Genesis life cycle. It is. Yeah, for a little while. So he'd had a lot of time to polish his craft. Um, and so this was kind of a later Genesis game for him. Uh, he did still work for a few more years after this, but uh, not as much. This is when he started kind of moving away was at the Do end of Genesis' life. Do you think he Genesis's was so life. upset that Bill's Tomato game didn't release on the Genesis that he's like, well, I'm, I'm just going to wind sure. down my I'm sure that's what it was. Point. Yeah. <laughs> it's because this didn't come out. Yeah. So we've been doing a pretty good job of keeping it tight, and I've already talked a lot on this intro, but really quick, I'm going to do a brief info dump before we get into your first block. Uh, so Matt was, um, as I said, grew up in the UK. Uh, he first was interested in programming, but he did have keyboards and pianos. Well, his parents had keyboards and pianos and stuff around the house. And so he taught himself at home and uh, he uh, on the ZX81 and then the ZX Spectrum, he got practice programming, working on on the actual like hardware and learning how to how to do things on it and around the same time he was playing in the arcades and he was noticing the music and sound effects and he wanted to learn how to make those kinds of sounds so eventually those two things just kind of merged he asked his parents to get him a synthesizer when he was uh, uh, a teenager and then when he was 16 and still in school he started making music for the commodore 64 demo scene and then he started putting those demos onto cassette tapes and sending them around to game development companies. And that was how a, um, a spinoff of Gremlin Graphics, I, I didn't catch the name, but a spinoff of Gremlin Graphics found him and hired them. And so at 16, he became their dedicated in-house sound technician. And that's where he did most of his early work on like the Atari ST and then moved on to the Amiga. But yeah, so I'll stop there for now. Very nice. Man, he got started super young too. Then, just like uh, just like Yuzo Koshiro did. There are a couple of different parallels uh, between him and, and Koshiro as far as the development goes. So yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to come back to that. But I mean, obviously the Sega stuff too. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, spe speaking of Sega, speaking of yeah, I think <laughs> our our first half of this episode is dedicated to the Sega Genesis, where I think most people would remember him from most yes. and yeah. a track and a game I should say not a track but a track as well a game that I always think back to every time somebody mentions Matt Furnace to me is the Genesis version of Mortal Kombat now I preferred the Genesis version over the Super Nintendo version for the original Mortal Kombat but once Mortal Kombat 2 and beyond started releasing I switched over to the Super Nintendo but this is a game that I did manage to own when it was current thank you shout out to my mom on the Sega Genesis 
So uh, that's what Go we're going to kick this mom. block off with. Yeah. And uh, we will listen to The Pit from Mortal Kombat. Again, this is the Sega Genesis version. Released September 13th, 1993. Composed as everything today is by Matt Furness. Let's take a listen to title theme from Alien 3. This released in October 1992 and was composed by Matt Furness.
Last up in this block, we'll be listening to Stage 1 Wolfship from Wolf Child. This released in March 1993, composed by Matt Furness. Coming back in, we are talking about The Pit from Mortal Kombat. Again, the Sega Genesis version, because there were a plethora of composers for the original oh Mortal Kombat games back then. You were doing the research, Bedroth. You had, what, Alistair Yeah, Rimmel, I was just curious. And 
Because it's interesting, uh, in, in the podcast I listened to, Furnace uh, didn't mention Mortal Kombat, maybe because he he only arranged music for, for the Mega Drive. Uh, Dan Forden did the original compositions in the arcade, and uh, those were used um, mostly intact. They were used for SNES and the Sega CD, uh, although, of course, the SNES on those samples trying to emulate the arcade sound was kind of kind of not great but Alistair Brimble handled all of the other ports to all the other systems and uh, he's another one who kind of flies under the radar a lot but he has done a lot of music uh, especially yeah. on the Amiga very so. similar to Matt Furness who just kind of worked mm-hmm. on everything back in this time frame um I we really were talking about like, how appropriate, though, Mortal Kombat music is for the Genesis. Yes, I really like this soundtrack on the Sega Genesis. It, to me, it feels more like the music for Mortal Kombat should. It has that grittier, grungier sound to it. It's dirtier in a lot of ways. And that's what I want out of Mortal Kombat, at least out of, out of yeah. this Mortal Kombat and this sound. The Super Nintendo version, while I do like it, it, it's a lot more cleaner, and this just, I don't know, it, it packs a punch that that version does not. The, the Genesis is really good at using music to sound dark and creepy. The The SNES, I think of composers like Uematsu and Yasunori Mitsuda who were able to do like dark music and ominous music, but when it came to creepy music, um, a lot of times it was more ambient and relied more on sound effects, but this, just the music, has that sort of creepy darkness to it that I, th- I thought was really good. Yeah, yeah, and, super cool. And super clear bass. And he also did the music for the Genesis version of Mortal Kombat 2. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, you know, after he did this job on this. Yeah, but I think starting with 3 and beyond, he was no longer involved, if I'm remembering correctly. That sounds right. That sounds right. And, and it would track, I think, with some of the timing as well. Um, I think it was around between two and three is when he started doing other work outside of the studio where he had been working and doing the work for Mortal Kombat. Um, so, yeah, the, the company that he, he worked with when he was working on the Genesis was Chrysalis. And one of the managers or co-owners of that company was a guy named Sean Hollingsworth, who I, um, Hollingsworth, Hollingworth, what are the other, um, (laughs) but he was a technical director and a software engineer and hardware engineer. And, um, we've talked before about how Koshiro, Yuzo Koshiro learned on the PC-88. That was like his kind of growing up, um, system that he, that he composed on. So much so that when it came to like Act Racer on the SNES, and then even the Etrian Odyssey series on later consoles, he wrote that music on a PC-88. Well, uh, Sean Hollingsworth developed an audio dev kit for the Mega Drive. Those were not commercially available and they were super expensive if Sega didn't license them directly to a company and Chrysalis was not licensed at this time. So they had to make their own dev kit, which Sean did most of the heavy lifting on uh, with Matt, like testing it, making sure that it it would, you know, do what he he needed it to do. And then once the dev kit was created, uh, they homebrewed a an heart an audio hardware setup that ran from one of the ports on an Atari Mega ST, which was just like an amped up version of the Atari ST. 
it actually ran into the controller ports on a Sega Genesis. So instead of like instead of having to compose the music on one system and then transpose it to another system and then tweak it to make sure it sounded right, he was actually able to compose it in real time using an Atari ST, which was the first system he composed for, but have it come out on the Genesis. And at the same time, when he had it set up at his house, he he was big into like like sound. Like when it, when it came to listening to music, he wanted the best. So he had this big like bassy speaker in his house and he had that hooked up so that whenever he composed he could hear the full range of everything which is why uh, he was asked on one of the podcasts why he thought his music was was so much like more full and more bassy than some of the other music that was composed especially outside of japan and he said that that was probably it he just had the right hardware and he had the right connection with sean hollingsworth and uh, that was how he was able to do that that's really cool man i like when you know obviously we we talked about the the similarities there with with yuzo koshiro but i like how they are able to get more out of what the system technically is capable of doing Mm -hmm. it's really cool it is it is really cool and it's it's also interesting to me when i think about how you know the developer of the console that they wanted people to make games that would (laughs) sell and yet at the same time they were sometimes stingy with like licensing and i get it you don't want to license to a company that makes crap games But if you don't give all the best stuff to the people that are making your games, then they're going to make games that don't always sound and look very good. Right. So, but you know, it's got to be an interesting, it's got to be hard to try to like toe that line, you know? Yeah. That's an interesting, uh, interesting topic to explore sometime. Um, Obviously we can never make an episode around that, but I do wonder like. Yeah. Throughout history. Well, maybe. Unlicensed. Unlicensed versus licensed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, speaking of licensed games, we do have in the middle track there, Alien 3, a game that Matt Furness seems to be very well known for. Um, This game, when it came out on the Genesis, it also released on the Amiga, the Commodore, Game Boy, Game Gear, NES, SNES, Matt, it was pretty much everywhere back then when it came out based on the movie it's based on the film of the same name and i've never played this game but i have seen others play it it's a pretty dope game dude it's really cool it's really good i uh, got generally great reviews back in the day from like game pro and everything but mm-hmm. um everything that i saw for people talking about this from back in the day were really praising the soundtrack by Matt Furness. Now, he did all of the Sega versions of Alien 3, so the Genesis, the Game Gear, and the Master System. Andrew Roger did the Commodore 64 version, and I'm going to say this guy's name wrong. He's Wave. Uh, Is it your own tell? Yep, did the NES version. There we go. Yeah, I remember... I remember them bringing up your own tale on one of the podcasts, and it must have been for this one, uh, because they asked him why why he didn't do the NES version. He didn't even have an NES driver. His company was so focused on the Mega Drive and on Sega hardware that he didn't even have the capability to make stuff for the NES. Oh, wow. And he said that your uh, own tale, being who I believe is Swedish, Dutch. maybe Danish, he's from some Dutch. Okay, um, so your own tale. Uh, he said, you know, obviously a great composer. Uh, he had also done some work on the Amiga, but he did have great, you know, NES drivers. And so that's why he was more involved in like the NES and SNES. He's also only 50. You're on tell? Yeah. 
yeah that makes sense he was he was also really young when he started out yeah so very young absolutely uh this track is really really creepy though obviously coming out of the pit in mortal kombat uh, I, I guess I kind of, well, Wolf Child. It's not really creepy, but maybe I, I themed this block around a little bit of creepiness. Um, this is a very dark and gritty track as well. But what I like about this one, it has that guitar in it too, or, or what's meant to be a guitar, but it's just a synth. Yes, yeah, that's the synth synth yeah. guitar. Yeah. And, uh, um, and Furnace also does, I don't know if he did back then, but he does play guitar now. So, I mean, it would make sense. And he was also a big fan of, I mean, he listened to a lot of popular music and bands back then. So, so that was, that was his thing. And, uh, yeah, this soundtrack's great. It's not as long as some of his other soundtracks, like, uh, like maybe Wiz and Liz. Um, but the tracks that are there are really, really solid. Uh, the title, um, I really like both Area 2 and Area 4. I've seen Area 5 on a couple of different playlists. Uh, the ending, all of his endings are really good. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but... Um, but yeah, he, uh, he talked a little about the different versions here. He, he said he just doesn't like, <laughs> he didn't like working on a master system. He said that it was, it was dinky. It didn't have a lot of bass capability. It had a PSG, which was like sample ish based, kind of like the SNES, but different. I can't really explain it. But then once the Genesis came out with all of the, uh, the synth capability and the different channels and, you know, the YM chip and all that stuff, the Yamaha chips, uh, it just opened a whole new world of what he could do. And so after that, going back to the Sega Master System was really hard for him. He said the interesting thing about working on licensed games, um, you would expect that he would have a lot more like oversight and feedback by the people like like Fox in this case, who were originally in charge of the property. He said that wasn't always the case because I don't know if this was not officially licensed or if they just didn't get all of the permission. Uh, he wrote a version of the 20th Century Fox fanfare for this game but it's not featured in the finished game. It's buried in the code because they couldn't get the rights to put that fanfare in the game. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. But other than that, he he just got to compose kind of what he wanted. He said when he saw the demos, it made him think of Contra, so he kind of went for a little bit of like Contra hardcore um, style on this. But, but yeah, he didn't have a lot of feedback as far as what he wanted to write, which appears to have been how he preferred it. He liked being left to his devices. So I think most of them do, though. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, let the creative juices flow sort of a thing. And then we move on to my final game in that block. Another Genesis game. Wolf and another Child. really good soundtrack. Yes. One that... Not as uh, well known, I don't think. Oh, yeah. Definitely not as well known. So as I was telling you, I think I had heard of Wolf Child before. Like, the name sounded familiar to me. But I couldn't tell you anything about this game. Like, I don't know anything about it. I had listened to, I want to say, at least one or two tracks before. Because, again, it's probably why I knew of this game and I remember at least I feel like I remember the artwork with the wolf mouth and you know chomping on the, the logo um, but what I really like about the soundtrack and I really could have chosen anything from Wolf Child because as you said it is all really well done I went with Wolf Ship because this track it has a vibe and it has like a, a trance vibe a little bit to me to where I can zone out listening to this and I don't know man it just it puts me in a good mood if I'm if I'm baked and just yeah chilling to this track I could hear that for sure for sure man it's and if you if you really listen to it and you hear all the different things that are going on um 
it, this is one of the tracks that I think really showcases the range of Furnace's ability. Uh, it's a really, it's a, just a really strong entry. I'm glad you picked this one. I don't remember which one I had chosen for this. Uh, it wasn't this track, but but I'm glad you picked it. <laughs> yeah, this is a good track. Like you said, it has a lot going on. Uh, decently lengthy actually might be the longest track. Actually, it is the longest track we're playing on the episode today. Oh, so, yeah. Um, I, I had a couple of longer tracks in my shortlist, but yeah, it's even longer than my, my Fear Effect track. Yeah. So uh, just a just an all around great track that uh, once I heard it, I was like, man, I like this vibe. And when I like a vibe, I usually stick with it. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> he uh, he talks a little about this one. Um, he, he was asked by uh, one of the podcast listeners that he was on, uh, that he guested on, wrote in and asked how this version sounds so much better than all the others, even the Amiga, which in a lot of cases had music that was as good or better than what was on the Genesis and SNES. And he credits, uh, again, Hollingworth and uh, and the driver and the extra sound channels on the Genesis. I think um, he, he mentioned only he enjoys... did the Genesis version of this game? Yes, yeah, he only did the Genesis version of this game. Martin Iveson probably did all the others then, because he's credited just... He, he actually Wikipedia. mentioned that. He, he, okay. he enjoyed working on Wolfchild, he said, because it was based on Martin Iveson, who he had been a fan of back when they were both in the demo scene. Uh, Martin Iveson went by the name of Nuke back then, in the C64 demo scene. He'd been a fan of his for a long time, and so he enjoyed getting the chance to build on Iveson's music for, for, for his compositions. That's really cool. He said that it wasn't a direct like arrangement of Iveson's tracks, but he composed songs that were inspired by the same feel. With him in mind, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, gonna, I was uh, watching a long play while we were listening to the track, and it's it's a pretty generic platforming game for the time period. Very reminiscent looks like of like it. a Castlevania or mm -hmm. even like a Mega Man type of a thing. Just very, very generic for that time period. I just see the uh, images on the back of the box that serves as the image for the YouTube playlist. And <laughs> like, I love the little blurbs on these old packages. Uh, dive into the core and meet Drax's most hideous experiments. Drax with two X's, of course, because this was the <laughs> 90s. <laughs> what I really miss looking at the back of the box is that GamePro rating system. Oh yeah, it's got a <laughs> got a good rating. The the orange guy with the I can't tell is that a thumbs up or is that like a victory sign? I think it was a thumbs up if I'm remembering correctly. It looks like it. Yeah, yeah, the orange thumbs up, the three point five. <laughs> and I just remember there was like a green one, there was a red one where the hair was even crazier. Yep. Oh man. And then there was like those a blue the, one, I think. Good, yeah, I think the guy's yeah. like sick or something, right? So mm -hmm. <laughs> those yep. were the good old days. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Good stuff. But, you know, we are uh, only halfway through the time on the furnace spent on the Genesis. Uh, let's say we go ahead and jump to, to my Genesis block. I'm really excited for your block because you have a really strong track in here, but you're also doing something a little bit unique as well. Yeah, I thought this would be fun. And um, it's I've got a little bit of a sandwich in mind. Uh, my first and third tracks are much, much lighter than than your first block. My second track, though, would have would have fit in pretty well. But I brought it specifically and we'll find out why when we come back. But first, we are going to take a listen to Woodland from Wiz and Liz, the Frantic Wabbit Rescue. Released January 6th, 1994, and composed, again, as everything else is on the show, today by Matt Furness. 
Next, we're going to listen to Future Stage Theme 1 from Second Samurai, released October 1994, composed by Matt Furness.
And rounding out my first block, we're going to listen to The Wharf from Mickey Mania. Originally released October 1st, 1994, uh, both versions, the Genesis and the SNES version, composed by Matt Furness. And we're going to listen to a little bit of both. Okay, coming back from my first block, we're first talking about Woodland from Wiz and Liz on the Sega Mega Drive, Sega Genesis. Yeah, what did you think of this one, man? This is a really, really fun track. I told you that I'm glad you brought something from this game because I left something off when I finalized my seven, um, the high score theme from this game, which you said you also had in your short list of, of tracks to potentially bring for the episode. Um, I watched, a, again, I'm tending to watch long plays of these because I don't know a ton about the games that we are featuring today outside of a few. Um, I don't know that this is something I would have really enjoyed back then, but what I, what I like about this and this block in general is all of these games are Cygnosis. And I don't know that yeah. that was the case. It was not for my first block. So obviously Cygnosis would eventually become insanely popular thanks to Sony and Gran Turismo. 
but I didn't realize like how much back or how further, God, I can't even talk tonight, how far back they went and, and how like different some of their early entries were. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even back then, I think among developers, he had, he had a good, um, they had a good reputation. Um, he mentioned um, in one of the episodes I listened to that um, he, uh, he had worked with, um, so Lunatic Software, and you can fact check me on this. I think Lunatic Software was like either an early version of Cygnosis or Cygnosis branched off from them. Um, but Wiz and Liz was produced uh, by, he said that Wiz and Liz was produced by Lunatic. You saw online that Wiz and Liz was produced by Cygnosis or published mm-hmm. by Cygnosis. Correct. So, or developed by Cygnosis? Anyway. Uh, published, um, I think it was. Okay, published by, by Cygnosis. So uh, he knew that Cygnosis was going to be the publisher for um, for one of his later games, which we didn't bring, Cytron. Uh, and he said that they were already known for having great graphics and sound. Uh, Cygnosis had an in-house composer um, that did some of their work named Tim Wright. And so whenever he had a chance, uh, Matt had a chance to do something for them. He always wanted to do something, you know, up to par uh, with with what uh, with what Wright would have done. So, again, giving credit to another composer, um, pretty classy guy from from what I listened to. But he was really fond of the soundtrack. He said between this and Pugsy, it's hard for him to to say which one he's more proud of. But he really enjoyed both of them. So. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's a great soundtrack from start to finish. Um, I did listen to, I think, the entire thing, at least what was available to listen to. So I think it was the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot Probably to the same enjoy playlist on the soundtrack. I Probably, yeah, probably. I don't see anything about Lunatic Software. Okay, yeah. So they may have been so obscure that only only the uh, folks working on their games <laughs> knew about them. <laughs> Maybe they were like a, like a, a small development company or something. So, uh, but yeah, uh, Wiz and Liz, I think you um, were going to bring the high score theme, which was yep. also on my short list. Yep. I also really enjoyed Snowland. But, yeah, like you said, it's a great soundtrack start to finish. So uh, Indeed. Yeah. Good stuff. Then we move to something very different in uh, Future Stage Theme 1 from Second Samurai. And before I talk on this one, you said you looked up some uh, some gameplay. And this just this was like Game of the Year material, man, right? <laughs> yeah, I think when this came out in uh, 1994, I mean, you know, hopefully wasn't a very strong year. I don't remember exactly what came out in 94. I'm assuming a lot of better things besides Second Samurai. So... <laughs> This reminds me, you you know, you thought it was a beat-em-up, and I said this should be a game like Revenge of Shinobi or something like that based on the title and the way that this music sounds, right? It's definitely channeling Yuzo Koshiro here. Um, So I start watching this long play, and I was like, okay, well, this is like a side-scrolling action game. And then I watch it for longer than I should have because it was not that good. And then I realized that this is a samurai version of Kung Fu on the NES, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's the same thing. That's fun. It's yeah. literally like the same movements and everything. You just have a, you know, a katana instead of your fists and your yeah, um, feet. <laughs> and it's interesting you mentioned Shinobi. Uh, Furnace never did a Shinobi track, but he did compose intro music for the Amiga adaptation of the um, arcade game version of Ninja Gaiden. Which okay. in the UK had to be called Shadow Warriors because they had a thing about you saying ninja in you know in their media. Um, so he did work on work on that track, but soundtrack. But for this one, 
Um, of course, this this is a very Genesis sounding track. It and, is. Uh, yeah. Uh, really synthy, um, but also a lot of bass. And you can hear in in the synth on this one that he is emulating some some Japanese sounds. And that's why I brought this one partly because it was a chance to hear Furnace kind of channeling that Eastern influence. But he also mentioned that, uh, first of all, this is a pretty big soundtrack. Um, it's got four main areas. There's like a prehistory area, a future area, a feudal Japan area. Um, there's another one. And then each one has like four stages and each stage has unique music. So I thought that okay. was pretty cool. Um, he Some mentioned live alive being, type stuff going on there. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, except it's the same guy who just keeps getting yeah. sent to different <laughs> eras um, and uh, not looking very good doing it. But, yeah, true. Uh, Furnace mentions that he was a big fan of Yuzo Koshiro and particularly his Genesis work like Streets of Rage. And he wanted to do something along those lines. Although he said in in the episode I heard, he said, my music isn't as good as his, of course. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he he used more synthetic percussion in this and less of the sample based sound uh, because they wanted a lot of sampled punch and kick sound effects in this game. So he focused on just the the synths on the Genesis hardware to save room for those sound effects. Uh, he said the fun part of this one was writing music that kind of went along with the different time periods that he was uh, writing for. I need to listen to, you said this is a lengthy soundtrack. I need to listen to more of it. Yeah, it's pretty lengthy, pretty lengthy. And, and there are some that maybe you would like better than this track. But again, I picked this one because it was pretty different from anything else that I, I had heard on, on my, my listen through. Yeah, so. fair enough. I don't think I really listened to anything that I can remember from Second Samurai when I was doing my research. So I need to go check more of this out. Yep. Yeah, it was a good one. I would recommend people to go go check that out. But then that brings us to my my third track of the block, which did something a little bit a little bit different for. I did start out with Genesis on this, but then we moved into a an SNES version, one of the rare uh, forays that Furnace took into the SNES. Yeah, special because I think we we only we found what four. Yeah, I think we found four four iterations uh, of him appearing on the Super Nintendo. So yep, kind of crazy. Uh, and I know uh, Pitfall, my adventure. Uh, he wrote the uh, the Genesis version and then there is there is the SNES version um, that, that he 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 did the same thing and then you found um, a couple Manchester United Manchester United soccer or something like that yeah uh, the adventures of Mighty Max and the adventures of Kid Cleats Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And yeah, I know the Furnace did the Genesis version of Mighty Max because the the music is great, but especially the title theme and the ending theme, you need to go listen to them. And I'm, I mean, you, Brian, but also everybody else. They're, they're <laughs> very good. Adventures of Mighty Max, Genesis, the opening theme and the ending theme are fantastic. But the other game that he wrote for the SNES is Mickey Mania, a Mickey Mouse game that actually was, looks like published by Sony and not Capcom, yeah. <laughs> interestingly enough. Another Cygnosis Sony thing here you got going on. And yeah, I wanted to, uh, so you're going to splice these together and uh, wanted to feature both the Genesis version, like we'd, we'd been listening to for the last six tracks, but then move into SNES as we kind of move toward the second half of our our playlist, but also to showcase the different sounds 
that these systems were capable of. And I feel like the Genesis version, we were talking about this as we listened, the Genesis version is a little crisper, but the SNES version sounds more full. And I think for this particular style, you and I said we both both think we prefer the SNES version. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, based on listening to both back-to-back, the Super Nintendo version was more enjoyable for me. But I was looking at a rundown of the game because I couldn't remember exactly what Mickey Mania was about. Um, The Genesis version was more complete than the Super Nintendo version because it included an additional level that the Super Nintendo version didn't have, which was the band concert from 1935. (laughs) <laughs> interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, Mickey Mania was about Mickey going back through several of his past. Yeah, like some old ass yeah. cartoons. Yeah, that's that's right. And similar to Steamboat um, Willie, the Mad Doctor, Moose Hunters, Lonesome Ghosts, and Mickey and the Beanstalk were in both versions. But then the band concert was just the Genesis version. And then each version had a new cartoon, uh, The Prince and the Popper from 1990. Okay. So they each had like one new cartoon as well. But yeah. Cool. Okay. Crazy. Well, um, so it's kind of like the Duck Dodgers oh, it's also game. Missing a, actually, it's missing several things. Holy crap. It's also missing the staircase sequence in the Mad Doctor level, a few special effects, some of Pluto's appearances, and some level-ending sequences. Interesting. I wonder why. It also added load times between the areas. (laughs) So the SNES version kind of sucks compared to the Genesis. Precedence. Man, that's crazy. Because, like, you know, in some other games, like I'm thinking Turtles in Time versus Hyperstone Heist and Mortal Kombat 2, uh, you know, the... SNES versions, I think, were were notably superior to those, but to the Genesis. But and you got things like Street Fighter, where people just kind of have their preference. But uh, but this is you know this sounds like it was kind of opposite from that. Yeah, weird. Uh, Furnace says that uh, despite the music being this is this is good stuff. He didn't have a great time working on this game, but it was mostly because unlike with Alien Three, uh, Disney would not leave him alone about this. Oh, he said it was just like yeah, like I'm endless sure. rewrites. Uh, he he felt like he could never make them happy. They just wanted it redone and redone and redone. And you know Disney, of course, is notoriously picky about how how their stuff is presented. So. Um, But what's funny about that is that in 1995, he got a call from somebody he had worked with at Disney and they wanted him to come work for them in-house at their Burbank uh, studio where they did some of their their work on their video games. And so he actually went to work for Disney even after having that experience with them. And that's how he ended up in California. That's insane. (laughs) Funny how that works out. It is. It is. But yeah, by all accounts, he enjoyed his time there. And he he said he was excited to be able to move to to the States, I guess, you know, back in the mid 90s uh, under Clinton economics. That was you know, <laughs> it was it was a different time. I'll say what about current different economics. <laughs> oh, man. And especially let's, in California. Come on now. Instead of going there, let's uh, let's go back even further in time as we we get <laughs> into our our second half of the episode. And uh, to usher this to in, the I've already mentioned. Bush era? Come on now. Uh, uh, I already mentioned, uh, man, we're going back to like like Bush and maybe even back a little bit into Reagan on some I of this. Man, are we dipping into Reagan um, era? <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, I I, I've that mentioned that uh, Furnace talked about uh, Yuzo Koshiro as an, as an influence of his on the Genesis. Uh, he also talked about Martin Iveson and um, you know some other guys. Incidentally, as we've as we've gone through this. 
and uh, some companies like Technosoft that had really good sound design. He also mentions the work of Tim Fallon, specifically on the NES, the SNES, and C64. Uh, he, um, yeah, he he mentions Tim Fallon across the two episodes I listened to several times. So sounds like he loves him as much as all the rest of us in the VGM scene do. <laughs> And with good reason, but with yeah, reason, I, I'll be course. interested to hear when we get into some of this, if we hear any of that influence from like Tim Fallon and Euro Intel, because I didn't bring any Amiga, uh, but you are going to be treating us. It looks like with I got this a whole block. block. Yeah. I got a whole block of Amiga tracks here because like I said, if, if it's not Genesis that I know Matt Furness from, it would be the Amiga because I've just listened to so much Amiga music throughout my time listening to video game music. I really enjoy the Amiga music like library um so i think you're going to enjoy this i don't know if you're going to be familiar with these tracks you probably have heard maybe one or two of them but i don't know if you're going to be familiar with them or not um but yeah this is the start of our coming out of that snes version of mickey mania do we have what's our next genesis track would be the ending there you go looks like our next genesis track is going to be the ending and it's a game that we we couldn't do this episode without but we'll indeed we'll get there we'll get indeed. there indeed so we got a <laughs> Tired another half of the episode that will not be Sega Genesis. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah, so I'm excited. Let's kick off this second half, my second block, with main theme from Laser Squad. This released sometime in 1989, and it was composed by Matt Furness. <sighs> Thank you. 
this is Kyle, and one day you can be too. Every Friday, I host what is soon to be your favorite podcast, The Media Files. Me and one of my best friends talk about pop culture happening so that you don't look like an uncultured swine during those boring water cooler conversations. Laughs are shared, tears are cried, and sometimes we have really interesting special guests that you might be familiar with. Download The Media Files wherever you download podcasts, and remember, be kind, be honest, and we'll see you later. Up next, we'll be listening to World 3 from Torvok the Warrior. This released in 1990 and was composed by Matt Furness.
Last up in this block, we'll be listening to Finn DeJou from Castle Master. This also released in 1990 and was composed by Matt Furness. Coming back in, we are talking about the main theme from Laser Squad from the Amiga. This entire block was Amiga music and uh, quite a bit of a difference from what we heard there with the Genesis block, was it not? A bit, yeah, yeah. I think you could hear Furnace's style still kind of consistent with a big emphasis on bass and, and a lot of different instruments going on. But but these had a lot more in common with each other than they did with any of the Genesis tracks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about either of these three games, unfortunately. Um, I know we've played a track from Torvok the Warrior before. Either Frank or myself brought that on a prior Amiga episode, but uh, Laser Squad and Castle Master were new discoveries to me as I was looking for Matt Furnace music for the episode. Um, I really liked the main theme from kind of Laser like the Commodore Squad. 64 before it's the, the Commodore Amiga was not super big over here, but 
Music's really great, but yeah, I, I was it stepping is. all over you. So what were you saying? <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, I I don't know, man. I I really want to do another Amiga episode this time with you. Uh, I think that would be. I actually went through recently and and updated like the list of things that I wanted to do for parts two and three and four and beyond. Uh, we need to do a part three of Amiga music at some point because. There's I would still totally so be much down. good stuff out there on the Amiga. Yeah. Um, the reason that I chose the main theme from Laser Squad, I really like it, but I also really like the usage of the sound effects and the, oh man, I, I guess atmospheric effects to make it feel like you're actually in the desert area that it's portraying you in this, in the screenshot here. Uh, because that's kind of the get, you know, you kind of hear and feel the sand blowing around in the background. Yep. Um, I really, really dig this. Now, the characters, I, I will say, <laughs> I, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, one of them looks like a, a ripoff of, of what you would expect, like a, a robotic Iron Man to be. Uh-huh. Uh, that would be the main guy there in the middle. But then the guy on the left, he's got a little heart on his girdle there, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. They've got they, they've got the uh, the the bullet, you know, bullet straps um that could almost be like like a guitar strap their their guns <laughs> like especially the guy in front he's holding it like a guitar this this image is so 80s it is so oh, it's 80s silly. it's so silly it's so silly it's it's delightful i love it <laughs> great music though and yeah, and uh, kind of a foreshadowing of uh, a robot track in my next block that also makes makes interesting use of of its hardware for sound effects. But but we'll get there. We'll get there. Nice, nice. Uh, my middle track comes from Torvok the Warrior. We listened to World Three. I was telling you, man. I don't know why I like this track as much as I do, but something about it, like it, it's it's not in your face, like. It's very almost quiet, right? Like it's it's a very toned down track, but yeah, there's a lot sure. going on in this track in the background. And I, I don't know, man, I just the sound that the synth makes when it kicks in around the 25 second mark or so. It's very cool. It's got this as I'm listening to it for the second time. It's got it's, it's got a, that sweeping epic feel like a sword and sorcery game would have, but it also has has this this like determination and drive and it's just it's really evocative it's got it got a nice little bit of darkness not quite as much as your first block on the genesis but but um i picture like uh this barbarian dude riding a horse through like a stormy night you know kind of kind of image it's a uh, really really you nice might be giving torvok the warrior a bit too much credit probably but you know <laughs> you know maybe a conan the barbarian kind of thing going on but uh, there's probably a reason we don't hear about torvok anymore these days um Looking at a long play now. Not not a great game either. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) kind of like kind of like that samurai uh, samurai game, huh? Second sam. Yeah, (laughs) this this looks more like uh, ghosts and goblins, though. Ah, that makes sense. That makes sense, man. one of the things I noticed in listening to these, and it reminded me of something that, that again, that Matt said on the episodes I listened to, is the Amiga 
um, was was sample based, like the SNES. The the weird thing about the Amiga is that it has the the channels are hard panned left and right. So anytime you listen to it in headphones, you're going to hear something on the left and something else on the right. Uh, you couldn't like line them up and do like basically mono. It was forced stereo. Uh, and Furnace said that was actually the most constraining part of working on this. That it was it was nice working with large samples because you can make them sound more like sound channels if you want to do something big. But you had to be conscious of where the sound was going to be or it would sound really weird. And um, your third track does a really good job, especially in a couple of parts with uh, with with a certain instruments uh, in really taking advantage of that panning that the Amiga did. Yeah. Going into Finn Dujou from Castle Master. You helped me figure out what this track reminded me of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so some classic In the Mood by Glenn Miller. In, Deep cut. In the, yeah, just just the basic. Uh, oh, what, what is it now? Yeah, no, it's it's, it's the, the intro to In the Mood, not the not the dun, part that everybody knows. That part. Yep. Yeah. 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 If you listen to the opening of In the Mood, there is a uh, yeah, that that's the, there's a section of this track that sounds really similar to that. Well, this is just a very fun track in general, dude. It's uh, it perhaps is maybe the happiest track, even more so maybe than Woodland. Let me listen to Woodland again for a second. Ah, Woodland's pretty happy, too. Woodland but... and the uh, and that Mickey Mania track was pretty happy as well. The wharf. But it is. Yeah. This one. This one is. It, I don't know. There's something about it. It's kind of campy. Um, but I mean, looking at the cover art, um, I'm not surprised. Again, I'm reminded a little <laughs> bit of like a little bit of David Bowie and the Labyrinth and stuff like that. It's, uh, you know, but there, there is a whimsical um, sort of sound to this track that, that I, I do like a lot. And later on in the track, when the bells come in, uh, that's when you can really hear the, the sample or Matt Furness's sample work shine because it like moves from the left and pans over to the right. So this is a first person exploration game. Um, Interesting. Like a, a dungeon crawler or your, like a kind of, like yeah, okay. basically like a dungeon crawler. Um, long play has a character moving around like the castle grounds. They just lowered a drawbridge and then, so it, it's sort of like a text adventure as well. It appears in some hmm. areas, okay. uh, very early style game, right? Um, yeah. Very ugly. I don't think this game looks <laughs> great at all, but uh, was probably amazing back in 1990 when it came out. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. This was a fun block. Uh, glad we got to explore some of Furnace's Amiga work. Uh, this was still early on in his career when he was um, like just starting out with uh, with Chrysalis and just getting to know Sean Hollingsworth. He actually says that he used a program called ProTracker when he was uh, working on the Amiga because it was before, okay. you know, because the, the driver Hollingsworth um, made was for the Genesis. And so he was still using some of his older, older stuff now. But uh, but yeah, um, this was really cool. Enjoyed it. And we are not done with uh, showcasing other sides of Matt Furness outside of the Genesis. We are not. Uh, my next block goes uh, a few very different places. We'll talk about it a little more when we get back. But uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and start out with 
the only Sega Master System track that I brought because it was really the only one I I, I found that was, was even even decent. Um, I, the melody and, and is again, good. And again, reminder: neither one of yeah. us really like the Master System. Nobody really likes the Sega Master System sound. <laughs> it's, it it really suffers on 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 the bass. Just so you know, going into it, the melody though is very nice. It is an original tune. It's not associated with this property. Uh, it was composed by Furnace originally. But yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, we are going to start out my second block by listening to the Trivial Pursuit theme from Trivial Pursuit on the Sega Master System, released in September 1992 and composed once again by Matt Furnace. <laughs> Thank you. 
Next up, we're going to listen to in-game music from Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters, released in 1990 for the Atari ST and composed by Matt Furness. Rounding out my last block, we're going to listen to the ending theme from Fear Effect Sedna called Are We All Here? This game was released March 6, 2018, and it was composed and performed by Matt Furness.
coming back, we are, man, talking about a, an interesting mix of tracks. First up, the Trivial Pursuit theme from the Sega Master System version of Trivial Pursuit. And uh, yeah, our only Master System title, as I mentioned. What did you think of this track, dude? Well, uh, it's a Master System track, but... <laughs> yep, so will. We'll that consider melody's that. nice. There we go. That yeah. melody's really nice. You were right. I really dig that melody. And I think you mentioned something to me while we were listening to it about how it may be the strongest melody featured on the episode. And I think you're right because we didn't really feature any super strong melodies. We featured a lot of just interesting tracks. Yeah, there were games with, with good sounds and good music, but not necessarily something you're going to be humming when you walk away from it. It's like, you know, stuff you listen to to listen to. But this is, and, and um, I noticed it when I was listening through this time with you, that it, it struck me that way. But I think that may have something to do with um, uh, w when Matt talked about his composition process. He said that generally he starts by just finding like sounds that he wants to use going through sample libraries or just like manipulating and adjusting sounds to make them sound different or interesting. Uh, and then then he'll add some rhythm, uh, a bass line, and then maybe some chords and then put the melody on top of that, which the rest of his music, that makes sense. It sounds like it was kind of built from the ground up like that. But with this, honestly, with the Sega Master System, you're left with so little after you do the rhythm and the bass. <laughs> that maybe, and you can't really do chords uh, t too much. I mean, I say that he has some good chords in here, but it's all from the melodies and the counter melody and the harmony. Uh, I feel like he had to do more of that with this track because there was so little else to work with, honestly. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I told you, I really, I actually like it the most when the bass cuts out and you're just hearing, you know, those, those chirpy scents. Yeah. They, it's really nice. Really happy. Really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Another happy track actually. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then man, quirky track, but I love it so much. We get to, uh, escape from the planet of the robot monsters, <laughs> the in game music. And you really liked this one. I did, man. And I think you knew I was going to. I did. Yeah, um, I thought you would. I love everything that's going on in the background of this track. I can tell, at least I would think, Matt Furness had a lot of fun putting this one together. Because there's just so many, like, different sounds in the background. Like, you know, it sounds like lasers going off. It sounds like, you know, missiles being dropped and just random-ass sound effects all over the place. This is a cool-sounding track. I dig it a lot, dude. And I also have to say again, YouTube, I just I love the cover art. It just looks like an old comic book. It's it really campy in, in the most glorious 80s kind of way. Uh, this was apparently based on an arcade game uh, that they actually had in the office at, at Chrysalis where he worked. And he said the music was sort of mellow and uh, atmospheric, and he knew he couldn't do that on an Atari ST, so he just decided to kind of do his own thing. He didn't have any direction or any constraints. They just said make the music, and so he made what he wanted to make and handed it in. Um, the REST didn't have our REST, the Atari ST <laughs> didn't have as much memory as uh, some of the other systems he'd worked with. Um, so we just had to make sure it would fit on on the cart. But man, you can hear the Commodore 64 and, and demo scene influence in this track, I think. It's so oh, yeah. weird and fun. Yeah, those guys just, you know, they, they, they enjoyed what they did. They had fun putting this stuff together. And that bleeds in this track. You can easily tell that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
yeah i love this track dude and uh speaking of robots um uh, there is another track i want to mention we we didn't bring any n64 or ps1 tracks on this playlist we did not he he only did a couple of games on the n64 i think he said uh excite bike 64 and cruising cruising world which are are decent, but they they're they don't go as many places as the tracks that we played today. Uh, he said that especially with the N sixty four, it was just big samples that he kind of looped, and so that's what it sounds like is looped music, uh, not like VGM looped music, but like almost like you'd hear um, on like royalty free music or like a, you know at a sporting event or something like that. Um, VGM PF doesn't have any N sixty four credits listed. That's so weird. Yeah, it's uh, those were his only two that, that he said that he did on the ps1 he did he did a few he actually did work for sony for about a year in between chrysalis and disney um and one was the first uh fear effect game which we'll talk about again in a second but the other one was a game called nanotech warrior but the reason i didn't bring anything from it the soundtrack is amazing i definitely encourage everybody to go check out nanotech warrior that's nanotech with a k um and the problem is there are no track credits and so you can't tell who did what but it's a it's a really great soundtrack but i wanted to give those a shout out um, oh, he did the music to cool borders 2001 <laughs> yeah 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 and um Dope. that was around that was around the end of his uh his involvement he said that uh after the PS1, things just started, they started kind of uh, going from, you know, like MIDI sequences and synthesizers and things like that, getting into Redbook Audio. Um, he said he started feeling like things got a little boring. Um, he lost interest because he'd always enjoyed the technical challenge of early digital music. And so he kind of switched over and started programming full time. And that's okay. what he's still doing to this day is, is working in programming. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, he it's like Alberto also, Jose Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And, Reminds uh, me of the interview we had with him. He's still, uh, um, Furness is still in touch with Sean Hollingworth, who made the uh, driver. And Hollingworth apparently now is working with security software. So they both kind of moved on to, to other things. But in 2016 2017 somewhere there he was approached by the creators of the first fear effect game that he had worked on because they were doing a kickstarter uh to develop a new game fear effect sedna and they asked uh, they reached out to matt and said hey we're doing this kickstarter it's going pretty well would you like to do a track for it and Furness said that he hadn't really done any musical work at all uh he was still doing it as a hobbyist but like even the people at his place uh, the place where he works now they know him as engineer matt and very few people know him as composer matt somebody sometimes <laughs> somebody will bring up a game they used to play and he'll be like oh yeah i did the music for that but it's very rare he says um so when he was approached and it was for people he'd already worked for and they said only one track so it wasn't a big commitment he was like yeah i'll do that i'll do that and he had a couple of ideas floating around in his head and so he put together the music for the last track in my block uh, the ending theme, Are We All Here from Fear Effect Sedna, which came out in 2018 and which you said did not turn out to be a very good game. Oh, no, man. <laughs> this game, it got ripped apart. Uh, uh, I 
think it was at like a 40 something on Metacritic. Mm. Did you ever play it? No, no. I was interested in it because I enjoyed the original Fear Effect and the sequel. I think it was called Helix maybe back in the day. Mm, Okay. Um, Something like that. Started with an H, the sequel, Fear Effect 2 something. Mm -hmm. Um, I enjoyed those games. And when they announced this one, I had it on my radar. It had a like a cell shaded style to it. Like I, I thought it looked good, but once it started gearing up for release, I started hearing about some potential issues coming out of like people that had played it and then it released and got ripped apart. Um, It's sitting at, I'm looking now, I'm trying to pull it up. It is sitting at a 48, no, I'm sorry, a 42 on Metacritic. And so it is, it is not that good. Um, however, I will say this is the only track that Matt Furness did for this game. That, what that you said? is, uh, I believe so. Yes. Okay. Um, I dig this track. I think the acoustic, and I'd never heard this before. Cause again, I generally stayed away from fear effects that, um, didn't even care to listen to the soundtrack, but now I kind of probably don't need to, cause this is the only Matt Furness track, but still. <laughs> yeah. I can't speak to the rest of it, so I don't know, but yeah, I really like the acoustic guitar at the beginning. It, it it gives me a lot of uh, Gustavo Santoaloya vibes from mm-hmm. Last of Us yep. in the way that it sounds. But then this track being an ending track, it is unique throughout. Toward the end, the electric guitar comes back in, which it had been in there a little bit previously, but it really sticks out near the end and it goes full on psychedelic. And it's just, dude, it, it, it took me somewhere. And I really like the ending of this track. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The the distorted electric guitar um, is really cool. The uh, he uh, Furnace talked about a little bit of the the work he did on this one, and he said that um, it was nice because he didn't have any constraints. They just said do whatever you want. They completely trusted him. Uh, he'd been tinkering around with Logic Pro, um, a DAW on the Mac, and had also been messing around with his guitars. And so he'd had some ideas kind of floating around, and he sort of put them all together in this track he said he even got a uh, little electric ukulele uh for himself for christmas from walmart <laughs> of all places and that may be that actually may be that first little plucked instrument that we hear okay. is that electric ukulele yeah. <laughs> but uh he said he was going for something like um uh evangelis i think is that a band name that you would know or uh mm, not no i don't think so not sure if it's a band name or if it's like an anime or something or he said something like you'd find in an 80s sci-fi movie um he also said he had just finished watching stranger things and so he there probably is some of that influence in here as well <laughs> But uh, but he said he wanted a hint of an Asian sound, not as heavy as he went on for the first fear effect because of where this game takes place. And and he also uh, noted John Carpenter's uh, uh, cinematic soundtracks as an influence on this track. So a lot of different things came together in this, but but it turned out really nicely. Um, like you, yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah, I really like this. Um, like I said, the the standout for me, and I, I just listened to it again, and I just had to put it back on again after I got done, is the like last minute and a half of this track when that guitar kicks back in. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. It's it's interesting because he, he was asked at one point about, uh, you know, like, like a lot of modern composers, uh, they wondered what his thoughts are about the like early digital music versus the later like post red book audio music. And he said he liked doing the chip based stuff because like a lot of other people, he thinks that when you've got limitations, it almost makes you more creative because of the technical challenge. He said also that, you know, at the time you knew other people were doing the same thing on the same hardware. And so it was 
kind of an even playing field so you could get a little competitive and maybe show off a little bit. But he said that like with the new Fear Effect game, sometimes it's nice to have the freedom to use real instruments because you can go places that you couldn't really go before. And so it's cool to hear him talk about kind of a little bit of both. Uh, one other little side note before we start talking about uh, your closing track is um, he was asked if he would like, if there were any other franchises that he would like to compose for. And um, he said that he would actually really love to be asked sometime to do some original music for a Grand Theft Auto game. Because he says he really has fun with this. <laughs> <laughs> he says he knows most of the music is licensed, but if they ever want anybody, he's there. <laughs> That'd be fun. That would be fun. Be really give, cool. him, give him like a like a Vice City type of Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Or just give him a channel on the radio station, no? The Matt Furnish channel. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Man, I love your ending theme. Oh, it's uh yeah, one of it's my a, favorite. It's a good way to close the episode out. You, you have to feature this game, right? You do. On a Matt you do, right? I think I think you and I mentioned it. I think it is my favorite soundtrack by Matt Furness from start to finish. I really enjoy basically everything on the yeah. Bugsy soundtrack. The whole thing is it's, very good. It's just so well done, man. It's so well done. And it's a great game, too. I mean, it's Traveler's Tales, right? And they, they did a lot of great things and continue to do a lot of great things to this day still. Though, granted, maybe last year's Skywalker Saga, Lego Star Wars, it wasn't the best. But um, Oh, that's disappointing. I always liked those Lego games. but Kyle, Kyle did not enjoy that one. Um, I never played it, but Sev also ripped yeah. it apart, really didn't enjoy it either. Um, but yeah, it's crazy that these guys, you know, that developed Pugsy are still going. They are yeah, still around. No, they're, it is they're the, the same team. They are just, the they, they are owned by Warner Brothers now yep. and uh, they make Lego games. <laughs> I haven't played a whole lot of them. I, I've toyed around in the Lord of the Rings one and uh, the Harry Potter one. And, uh, you know, they're fun. I like all the little tongue-in-cheek in-jokes. I really, really enjoyed Lego City Undercover on, on the that Wii That is a U. good one. That was a lot of fun. That is a good one. Yeah. And it's on the Switch Very now, so you can play it without the horrendous load times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a lot of fun, though. For anybody who is looking for, like, a GTA-inspired experience, speaking of, of that series, but that's kid-friendly, Lego Sitting Undercover is it. It's yep. it's amazing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he, uh, Furnace said, funnily enough, the, the guys at Sega liked his music on Pugsley so much that they ordered it transcribed for the Sega CD version of the same game. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's really cool. That's, that is really cool. I also think it's interesting that Pugsy has a level called Wabbit's World, which is a reference to Wiz and Liz, a track we played earlier, or a game that we featured a track from earlier. Yeah, they both also uh, feature a fire-breathing dragon. <laughs> that is true. Apparently so. True. Throwback yeah. to our uh, House of the Dragon episode. <laughs> Indeed, another episode that did really well. That's um, nice one, man. But yeah, we're closing out with, fittingly enough, ending theme from Pugsy. And man, this track is just, it's so good. It's so cool. It's both chill and triumphant at the same time. It's, I it's very nice. You, I don't know why it was reminding me, probably in a triumphant way. Like I was for the first time, I've heard this track so many times, but I was thinking this time Rainbow Road. Mm -hmm. And that's another track that I think I have a lot of nostalgia for. Oh, so anytime that something too. sounds similar to that, I, I tend to think that. Um, and I think some of the instrumentation here in the ending theme of Pugsy is similar to what was used for Rainbow Road. Um, I could hear that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just such a damn good track, dude. My God. 
Well, and it's also interesting. I have to note, I love the Rainbow Road uh, sound uh, track from, and I'm, I'm, I think we're both specifically thinking of the one from Mario Kart 64. Absolutely. Um, and, but I have to say the what? instruments. We should on, just do a Rainbow Road episode. <laughs> you could at this point, man. You totally could. <laughs> Especially when you bring in all the covers from later Mario Kart games. Oh, maybe that'll be but, a radio hour one month. But, I don't know. But man, I we'll have see. to say the uh, um, the instruments on this Pugsy track, I think are are better than the instruments on the N64 that were used for Rainbow Road. It'd be it'd be interesting to hear Matt Furness do a Genesis-sized version of the Rainbow Road uh, music. Ooh, <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to just hear him take on some like some Nintendo stuff in general. Yeah, yeah. He said he he was asked about that, and he said that he never really um, messed around with the trackers. That he's super impressed with what a lot of the modern guys can do. He mentioned Jay Kaufman specifically and what he's able to do with Famitracker. He said it's miles ahead of anything that he could ever do with something like that. But um, but it would be nice to hear him do do a take on that. If um, if you do want to hear Furnace cover some uh, some classic tunes, they're classic Sid Chip tunes. But there was a Kickstarter project a few years ago called Project Sidology that came out. And I, I doubt that if you Google Project Sidology, you're going to find anything else. So uh, if you want to want to hear it there, there's some more um, furnace stuff on there. That's fairly recent. Um, my last little bit of furnace trivia for the episode is that he he mentioned that one of his favorite things to write was ending music. Uh, whenever he would get a new game um, as a player that had a sound test, he would always go into it and listen to the ending theme because it was usually the longest and best track of the soundtrack. And so whenever he got a new assignment, he would look forward to doing the ending theme. And he always put a little bit of extra effort to make it a little longer or a little richer and just to take it to the next level. Um, he said it was also nice not having to capture the theme of a particular level or having to worry about saving room for sound effects. He could just kind of go all out for the ending themes. And I think he definitely did that for this one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know what, thinking back, like I did listen to a significant amount of ending themes by Matt Furness and they are all fantastic. Oh yeah. We could have just done all ending themes for this episode and it would have been yeah. amazing, but he is really good at that. Yeah. He was really our, good I mean, our last two, our last two were ending themes. So they were. So there we go. They were. <laughs> yeah, they were. Uh, and we are about to be ending as well. But before we do. Yep. Yes, we are. Do you have anything to plug? Anything to mention? Anything at all? Did I add? I did finally release our uh, latest episode of the movie bar, uh, The Verdict, starring Paul Newman, a 1982 drama, a medical malpractice drama. So. Y'all can go check that out. It's a little bit shorter than our other episodes have been. I didn't do as many of the uh, movie sound effects for this one because I needed to kind of trim down my production time. But uh, I think that the episode's a little bit better for it. And uh, yeah, interested to hear what people think. So go check that out. Perfect. I haven't listened to that yet, but I, uh, I definitely will be doing that hopefully soon. I will be interested soon. to hear what you think. Yeah. That's it for me, man. We're going a little long on this one again, so I'm going to shut we up. We did, finally. but did, you know what? There was a, there was a couple minutes of silence there, so we, we should be right around two hours still. I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be all right. And uh, man, we got some good stuff coming up now that we are officially in March. This episode yeah. will be dropping on March 1st, hopefully. Next week, we have a, a fun topic, and we have a lot of fun things planned. So, Yeah, I am excited for your soundtrack showcase that you have coming up. And uh, yes, I guess all I can say is um, 
listeners, be ready or maybe even beware what might be coming up later in March. Yeah, beware, uh, beware. That's good. Something, something. Just leave it on beware. (laughs) Sounds good, man. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. Well, unfortunately, that is going to bring us to the close of the show for this week. We do want to thank you for staying with us and listening to another episode of BG Mania made possible, of course, by RPGera.com. If you like video game music, more importantly, you like us and you want to help us close. Nope, not close. You just sounded like a pilot. Mm. <laughs> or no, no, like, like when they do the, uh, you know, the, the, the safety check um, by our made, made possible, of course, by RPGera.com. And uh, <laughs> the back of your seat can be used as a flotation device. <laughs> <some> water landing. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> if you like video game music, and more importantly, you like us and you want to help us grow the show, check the description box for ways you can do just that, including a link to join our Discord community. Click it, join it, and interact with us. Taking us out of this episode, we are going to be taking a listen to Ending Theme from Pugsy. This released on March 23rd, 1993, and it was composed, as everything on the episode today was, by Matt Furness, the man of the hour, composer appreciation himself, Matt furnace great episode yeah keep the music playing and keep it loud